Good morning, City Light. Happy Easter. It is Resurrection Sunday. The tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Well, I am so glad that you have joined us here this morning to celebrate. And today we are going to dive right into John chapter 20, a report of Jesus' resurrection in the Bible. And as we do that, I want to set the stage for you a little bit. This book, the Bible, is actually a collection of 66 books that was written over a span of maybe 1,500 or 2,000 years. Around 40 authors contributed to its pages. They were from three continents. They included farmers and kings, prophets and priests, uneducated fishermen and highly educated scholars, a tent maker and a doctor. And yet despite all of this diversity in time and place and culture, this book has just one message, one highlight, one climax, one main event. And everything before that main event pointed to it and prepared for it and predicted its coming. And everything after that main event remembers it and celebrates it and declares it for all to hear. The main event of the Bible and of all of human history for that matter is the miraculous resurrection of Jesus Christ from death to life. That's where we're at. That's what we're looking at today. And so we want to just look at his story. Listen, Jesus was tried and tortured. He was condemned and crucified. His executioners beat and bruised and bloodied him and then nailed him to a cross and left him to hang there until he died. And once he did, they took his body down, laid it in a grave and sealed that tomb with a stone. Now that part of the story is gruesome and it's awful, but it's not unique, right? Other people have been tried and tortured. Other people have been condemned and crucified. Other people have been laid in a grave, sealed there and left to their final resting place. But that's where Jesus' story takes a wildly different turn than everyone else's story. Jesus' grave was not his final resting place. Though death is the last chapter for every other person's story, death could not close the book on Jesus. And so today we're going to celebrate Jesus. And we don't know exactly how all this went down. We don't know once the, two, the stone was rolled in front of the tomb, how everything happened inside. Once the seal was there, we don't get to see into it. But what we do know is that somehow in that sealed tomb, the power of God vanquished the power of death. Jesus was the victor. And so today, I want to invite you. As we look at the Bible, as we look at Jesus, I want to invite you to see the power that prevented the decay of Jesus' body as it lay in the grave for three days. I want to invite you to see the power that restored life to a dead heart inside a dead corpse. I want to invite you to see the power 
that breathes new resurrection life after the grave. Listen, today the good news is the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. This book was written. These events happened so that we might believe that it's true. Jesus is risen, and so we want to dive into that story today. I just muted that applause, and I am feeling guilty about it, all right? Pray for me. (laughs) Okay, we're going to look at the story together, and it starts out, John 20, with Mary, and she is headed out to visit Jesus' grave only a few days after he was laid there. Now, this is not an abnormal thing. You might have done this yourself. It reminds me of my wife's grandma, Elaine. See, she was really committed to honoring and remembering uh, her friends and family who had passed on before her. She would plan for it and prepare for it. She had lists of people that she wanted to remember, of places that she needed to visit. She would schedule it out. She would spend good money buying flowers and memorials for each one of them. And then as she visited each one, she would put those flowers there, shed some tears to honor their memory and pay her respects. Maybe you've done something like that. Maybe you know somebody like Grandma Elaine. Maybe you are that person. But visiting somebody's grave is not that abnormal. I think that's what Mary was doing here. She was going to visit her friend to honor his memory. And so she showed up ready to shed some tears, to mourn her loss, and to find some closure for all of the awful events that had just taken place. But John tells us that when she arrived, she found the opposite of closure. She found that the tomb was open. This is what John says. Mary saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. The tomb was empty, and that may not seem all that shocking just to read the words on the screen or to read it on a page, but put yourself in Mary's shoes. Imagine the shock. I think of Grandma Elaine, all prepared with flowers in hand and memories in mind to visit her friend at the cemetery. And yet when she arrives, as she approaches the place she intended to visit, the headstone is turned over. And as she gets a little closer, she realizes that where there ought to be grass growing on the ground, there is an empty hole. And as she gets closer yet, she peers in, and at the bottom, all she can see is an open, empty casket. You've done these things. Imagine the shock if that's what you saw. The tomb is empty, and it was shocking. Things would start racing through your head. What has happened here? Who would do something like this? What do I do now? And I think that's what Mary had racing through her head. There's some indication that she was wondering what had happened because she raced back to tell Peter and John. And so she tells them her story, what she had seen. They hear it, 
and they say, man, this is hard to believe. We got to go check it out for ourselves. And all the ladies in the room that deal with bullheaded, stubborn men every day say, typical, right? Listen, this dynamic of women knowing what's up first and men having to catch up later, this has been a play for a long, long time. So if you're dealing with that, just know you're not alone, all right? Mary had the same thing going on. Peter and John played right into that dynamic, and they said, we got to go see it for ourselves, Mary, all right? And so they take off, they race to the tomb, and this is what John writes. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. All right, I just, I got to tell you, I think it's hilarious. I love this. Um, John calls himself uh, the other disciple or the disciple that Jesus loved. It's just how he refers to himself in the book. And so they set out. They're running together, which I think is a race. And John makes no bones about who actually won. The other disciple outran Peter. He reached the tomb first, right? I read the Bible. I just see friendly competitions biblical, all right? So Dougie gives me flack for being short all the time. That's all right. I'm secure. I can grow a beard like a man, all right? I can take it. And I can also, like John, just tell it how it is. Doug might be a better soccer player than me, but in any real sport that matters, I can take him, all right? That's just the truth. So take that to the bank. Friendly competition is good. Peter and John got it going on. They raced to the tomb, and John says, I won. Peter lost, I got there, and when he got to the tomb, John looks inside to see if what Mary said was true, and he found out, sure enough, it was. The tomb was empty. Jesus' body was gone, and then like I would have to do if I beat Doug in a race, you just wait for Peter to show up. Come on, bro, and then Peter catches up, and he says, man, I'm not satisfied just to look in from the outside like you are, John. I got to go in. I got to search the premises. And so he enters the tomb, looks in every nook and cranny and corner and finds out John and Mary, they're both right. Jesus is gone and the tomb is empty. And so I just want you to see in John chapter 20, in this report of Jesus' resurrection from an eyewitness, the first point John makes is very clear. The tomb is empty. Mary saw it. John saw it. Peter saw it, and each one of them got closer and closer to the truth. Mary stood and saw that the tomb was rolled away and there was nothing inside. John steps closer and peers in. Peter gets inside and searches it all and finds that all that's left are the burial clothes folded up and left behind. The tomb was empty. And so I asked this morning, why does that matter? This is a shocking turn of events. This is an unexpected uh, twist in the story, but why does it matter? Why are they so worked up and running around? What's the big deal about an empty tomb? I think John clues us in. He tells us that Mary thought somebody had stolen Jesus' body. Now, that'd be a big deal. They'd want to sort that out. Uh, We don't know what Peter was thinking. John doesn't tell us, but John starts to put pieces together a little differently. Let me tell you what he wrote. He says, Then the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, one last dig at Peter, right? The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture 
that he, Jesus, must rise from the dead. John saw and he believed. The empty tomb was a big deal, not because somebody else moved Jesus' body. It was a big deal because it meant that Jesus was moving his own body again. Jesus was risen. He was alive. And John said, man, they didn't understand everything that God was doing among them. They didn't know everything that the scripture was saying, but they knew some things, right? These disciples, they knew that their sin separated them from God. They knew that that separation from God meant death, not life. They knew that God had promised a Savior who would undo that separation. He would bridge the gap and he would undo the death that came along with it. They knew that the promised Savior would be a life giver. So John stood there. And I don't know exactly what was going through his mind. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know how the pieces came together for him. I wonder if he didn't start remembering what Jesus had said. When, when Jesus said things like, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. As John considered all that Jesus had said, as he stood in a tomb where the seal of death had been broken, as John looked at the burial clothes that ought to have been wrapped around a dead body, now folded and discarded because that body no longer needed them, he put the pieces together, John saw and believed. He believed that Jesus does have the power to lay down his life and the power to take it up again. He believed that Jesus is the promised Savior. Jesus is the one who would defeat sin and death. The empty tomb mattered because it was the only the self-sacrificing, sin-crushing, soul-saving Son of God that could enter the tomb, left for dead, sealed one day, and walk out, leaving it just an empty cave three short days later. Jesus is the only one who has the power to lay down his life and take it up again. He is the resurrection. And when John saw the empty tomb, he believed. And so I'd ask you this morning, do you believe? Do you believe that? John saw the empty tomb and believed. But the others, they took more convincing. They didn't understand it all yet, uh, but they soon would. See, the story keeps getting better. Only a few hours, maybe, uh, after they saw the tomb empty, the stone rolled away, Jesus appeared like alive, flesh and blood, living, breathing, eating, cooking, walking, talking. Jesus shows up out of the grave, out of the burial clothes, into the garden with Mary, into the locked room with the disciples. Jesus is alive. And that's a big deal. I mean, imagine Grandma Elaine peering into the hole, wondering what's going on. And then the person that ought to be there walks up behind her and taps her on the shoulder. Who are you looking for? Right? That'd be shocking. That's a big deal. It's not the tomb isn't just empty. The dead man is alive. 
If you saw that, if you experienced that, how would you respond? What would you do? What, what would your reaction be? Well, Mary, she's a hugger, all right? She knew uh, what she had when Jesus was alive, and she felt the loss when Jesus was gone. And so when Jesus comes back, when she sees him again, when she has her king and savior there in front of her, she just locks him in an embrace, and it had to be an intense hug because Jesus said this, Do not cling to me. (laughs) Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Jesus says, man, I got things to do. You got things to do. Don't cling to me. And I know some of you want to say the same thing to Doug when you walk through those doors, okay? I see you, like trying to sneak in while he's dealing with somebody else, all right? I watched this happen. And if you're not a hugger, Jesus ain't mad at you, all right? You just quote him to Doug next week. Bro, don't cling to me. There's a bubble, all right? Grab a handshake instead. That's okay, okay? You don't have to endure that if you don't want to. Jesus says, don't cling to me, all right? Mary, Mary wasn't satisfied with just a handshake, all right? She saw her risen Savior, and she clung to him, never wanted to let him go again. Mary was a hugger, right? The disciples, they were different. Uh, Jesus appeared to them too. It was the night after the stone had been rolled away and Mary saw him and they heard the report. That night, Jesus entered the room with the disciples and John tells us uh, how they responded. He writes, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now that reads a little uh, anticlimactically, all right? (laughs) Jesus showed up and they were glad he was there, you know? But in the original language, this is saying that they were happy. They celebrated, okay? To use an old word, we might say the disciples rejoiced. To use a new word, a right now word, we would say the disciples partied, all right? Uh, they, they saw their man. He was back. The band was back together. Jesus was alive. The mission was starting over again. They had somebody to follow. They thought he was dead and gone, but now he's alive and here. We're going to throw a party. The disciples knew when Jesus came back, something big had happened, and they were ready to jump back in. They were glad. They rejoiced. They partied. And so I just want to pause for a second. I just want to ask you, as you sit here, as you hear eyewitness testimony of Jesus' resurrection, how do you respond? What's going on in your heart? I think probably some of you are like Mary, and you just want to embrace him. You just want to hold on. You know what life was like without him, and you just never want to go back there. That's good. I think some of you are probably like the disciples. Sunday, he's back to celebrate. Jesus is alive. I came here uh, to celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday. He's back. I'm, I'm excited. I want to celebrate. That's good. Listen, uh, uh, Jesus never promised that following him would be an easy life, but it is a life full of joy, and so we can celebrate. But my guess would be that some of you here this morning don't respond like Mary or the disciples. Some of you here this morning respond more like Thomas did. 
you hear the story and you just have some doubts. Uh, Thomas, he was, uh, he was a guy, he wasn't there. He was part of Jesus' 12 disciples, but when Jesus appeared to them in the room, Thomas wasn't there. I don't know what he was doing or where he was, but he missed the meeting, didn't get the memo, and, uh, and missed Jesus. And so his friends had to catch him up on the information, tell him what happened. And when they did, Thomas responded like this. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, make no mistake, a good makeup job's not going to do it for me. No imposters allowed. I want to touch it. Unless I place my hands into his side, I will never believe. Never. Thomas doubted the story and he demanded proof. You can hardly blame him, right? He had just seen Jesus brutally beaten and executed by crucifixion. You don't live through that kind of thing. You don't just bounce back from that kind of thing. If, if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. And Thomas saw Jesus dead, buried. Resurrection seems way too good to be true, and it probably is. I just, I, I've got a hard time believing that if I'm Thomas. But that's exactly what people were claiming that they'd seen, that they'd experienced. Now Mary, she was one thing. She was pretty close to Jesus, and uh, she was maybe emotional. You could see that in her. And so uh, seeing Jesus, maybe she's just seeing things. Maybe she's just making it up as a way to cope with her grief. Maybe we can write off Mary. Not quite, because John seems to believe her, but she's the only, he's the only one at first. But then things get even harder because uh, his friends... All the other disciples together say, hey, Thomas, we saw Jesus too. You missed it. Now there's 10 more witnesses, 10 more stories that all say the same thing. Jesus is alive. Maybe the hardest part for Thomas of not believing is that it, were, it was the people closest to him that were believing. These were his friends He'd done life with them, lived and worked and played. These are not people who would lie to him or deceive him. They were like his family. He trusted them. And it was those people who were telling him this story. Yet, resurrection? If Jesus really is alive, why the game of hide and seek? Why appear to some and not all. Thomas was an intellectual guy, and he needed convinced. Can you feel the wrestle? Can you feel his heart, this desire to believe, blended with and mixing with the doubt of the story? Thomas was wrestling. He made up his mind, though, doubting the impossible and desiring to believe. He finally determines proof will come from the eyes in my head, not the eyes in my heart. Unless I see, I will never believe. Can you relate to Thomas? 
We started out saying, asking the question, uh, how would you respond if Jesus was alive? How are you responding? I ask you now, can you relate to Thomas? Do you have doubts? Have you stood in his shoes? Are you standing in his shoes? Uh, Easter's kind of weird in this day because uh, I think it's easier to celebrate a bunny that somehow lays chocolate eggs than it is to celebrate a risen Savior. I think there's good reason for that. I think we just know that this chocolate-bearing part rabbit, part chicken is fake, right? It's just that doesn't exist. The truth is known, and so we don't have a problem with that, but it's different with Jesus. It's different because like Thomas did, we just have to wrestle with these questions. Are these eyewitness accounts, are they accurate, Did Jesus really live? Did he really die? Did he really rise again? Does he have that power? Is he who he said he is? I really want proof from my eyes, but must I have proof from my eyes for me to believe? We got to wrestle with those questions. And I think the struggle Thomas endured isn't all that different from the struggle some of us endure. I think our reality might be pretty close to his. Can you relate to Thomas? Have you ever had doubts? Well, if you have, I want to give you good news. Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. He speaks right to doubters. And so I want to get there. I want to continue in the story. Um, Thomas got uh, his answer to his demand for proof eight long days after Jesus first appeared to his friends. Eight days, can you imagine more than a week waiting and wondering, I'm the only one who hasn't seen him. Should I believe, shouldn't I believe, what's going on? Eight long days later, Jesus shows up in the room with the disciples again. And this is what he tells Thomas. He stretches out his hands. Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve But believe, Thomas got to see Jesus alive. It was really true. His friends had not lied to him. Jesus himself had not misled him. When Thomas was wrestling, Jesus showed up. And he didn't show up just to add weight to one side of the debate. He showed up to close the case. Thomas, you asked for proof. Let me give it to you. The hands that were nailed to the cross as a result of a rushed trial with no evidence became the very evidence that Thomas longed to see and touch. And once he did, Thomas responds like he promised. Unless I see, I will never believe You could say it another way, when I see, then I'll believe. When Thomas saw, he believed. And he declared, my Lord and my God. You see what happened in Thomas when he realized the truth? The guy who he had followed, who he called my Lord, my leader, became the God that he worshipped. This life-changing, heart-transforming, happening worked in his heart. It changed everything for Thomas. He saw Jesus and he believed and he said, my Lord and my God. And in the moments right after that doubter declared his faith, 
Jesus spoke to anybody who might doubt following Thomas. He spoke right to people like us. This is what he said. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What Jesus is saying is that there is a blessing, a joy, a happiness that comes when you can believe without seeing. Listen, we do this all the time. I'm not asking you to chuck your intellect here. I'm asking you to take Jesus at his word. We do this all the time, believe without seeing. Our eyes don't always pick up on reality. How many times have you walked into a room with a smile on your face and hurt in your heart? Anybody in that room would see the smile and miss the hurt. There's a reality that our eyes cannot see. And Jesus is saying there's a blessing and a joy that comes when you believe not because the eyes in your head see Jesus, but because your heart sees Jesus. Have you experienced what Thomas experienced? Have you doubted? Let me tell you, there's more than one way to close the case. Jesus does not have to show up Uh, so that we can see him with our eyes, so that we believe. Jesus shows up so that we can see him with our hearts. Do you believe? City Light, I just want to say, the invitation this morning is the same invitation that's been offered since the day these words were first written. John closes this resurrection report with a purpose statement telling us the reason why he wrote it. And I want to read it to you. John wrote, These words, these signs, uh, these stories are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says that Jesus is offering his life His after the grave life beyond your last breath, always enduring, never ending, eternity lasting life to anybody who would believe in him. And so I want to make the same invitation that John makes, that Jesus makes in John 20. Do you believe? Will you believe? Maybe you're like Mary and you just long for somebody to hug, somebody to love. Maybe there's an emptiness in your heart where you just long for it to be filled with somebody who would love you where you are for who you are. If that's your longing, let me tell you, believe in Jesus. He does love you. His love took him to the cross and the grave and back again so that we might know his embrace now and forever. If you long for that love, believe in Jesus. He offers it. Maybe you're like the disciples and you just long to live for something bigger than yourself. You long to live for something life-changing, something world-changing. You just wonder, man, what is my purpose? Why am I here? What's the point of it all? If that's your struggle, can I encourage you? Follow Jesus. Believe in him. There is no greater cause to live for 
The cause that he started, the mission that he began, when he resurrected from the dead, has lasted for 2,000 years. Eternity is at stake. There is no greater leader to follow or cause to live for. If you're wondering why you're here, turn to Jesus. Believe in him. Maybe you're like Thomas. Maybe there are doubts in your heart. And I'll just admit, I want to be honest with you, those doubts are real. The struggle is real. But my guess would be, so is the lingering desire to believe. A desire for the case to be closed. I bet if you're here this morning, maybe for the first time, um, somebody probably invited you. If they didn't, you're sitting in a room full of people uh, who many of them would tell a story of how they love Jesus and have been loved by him. And, and that's got to cause you to wrestle, would they all lie to me? Are, are they going to say April Fool's as I walk out the door today? Right? There's a wrestle there. I don't, my eyes haven't seen the proof that I want, but my heart longs to believe, and the people that I love and trust are saying that it's true. What do I do? If that's you, I would just say, Man, would you ask Jesus to close the case for you today? Would you ask him, man, Jesus, I've been looking for you with my eyes and haven't seen it. Would you reveal yourself to me in my heart? The the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus said, do not disbelieve, but believe. The invitation today is, would you believe? City Light, do you believe? Oh, Jesus, the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. He is risen. It is good news. There are eyewitness accounts, the same resurrection that Jesus experienced on that day. He wants to offer you on this day. Would you believe in him? It'll change your life, I promise. We are here this morning to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. The tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, great and awesome God, you are so good. I cannot fathom the depth of your love for even a broken person like me. Oh, God, I just, I get so fired up about this story. Uh, I, I get so excited that you aren't like others who death was the end and now we just have to follow your principles or your memory. But you rose again. You are alive. You are living, breathing, seated on your throne. God, there is none like you. Like Thomas, I just want to declare my Lord and my God. But God, I, gotta, I just got to believe. I feel like there are people in this room who can't say that yet. They just can't take to them to declaration. There's some hesitation in their hearts. And so God, would you make the invitation to them today? Not my words, not my calling, but God, your words spoken into their heart. Would you invite them today? Maybe there's somebody like Mary in here today who's just feeling like they long for love. They feel so isolated and alone, like nobody could love them for who they are. There's too much dirtiness. There's too much baggage, too much history. Could anybody ever love me? Oh God, I pray, would you invite them to believe in you today? To believe the reality that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. You came because of love. Oh God, invite them into your love today. If that's you, would you say yes to Jesus? Would you say, I believe? There are probably some people in here who are 
like the disciples and you struggle with your purpose. Man, I go to work every day or I wish I had work to do every day. I don't know why I'm here, what I'm living for. It just feels like I'm going through the motions. Everything is futile. God, if that's, if that person is sitting here in this room, I just ask, would you invite them to join you on your mission to give them the purpose that they were created for to worship you and enjoy you all their days and to join you on the mission that you're on to seek and save the lost. Oh God, would you send people out today because they said yes to believe in you. If you're looking for purpose today, would you say, I believe and follow Jesus? God, lastly, I just think there, there are some Thomases in the room who've doubted. Those doubts have plagued them for a long time. And some of them might already say, I believe, but question in their hearts, do I really? And others might not yet be able to say, I believe, but yet there's a lingering desire. Man, I wish I could. I wish I could just put that chapter behind me and move on. And God, if there are doubters in this room, would you show them even now, even in these minutes, in these hours, on this Resurrection Sunday, Would you open the eyes of their hearts to see the reality of who you are? Would you convince them beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are real, you are here, you love them and you want them? If that's you, if you're a doubter, would you say yes today? If you want to say yes, it's it's very simple. Just admit to Jesus, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I need love, I don't have it, I need purpose, I don't have it, I need assurance and I don't have it, Jesus, I, I, I need it from you. Would you give it to me? I surrender I will follow you, my Lord and my God. If that's you this morning, if you prayed that prayer, then I want to celebrate. It's just evidence that the resurrection was not only for 2,000 years ago for one man, but it is for today for all who would believe in him. And so if that's you, celebrate with you this morning. Would you tell somebody, let them know, walk the journey together. Oh, Jesus, thank you that your resurrection didn't end on that day. You've given it and offered us your life now and all of our days. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.